What is going on, baseball fans? Welcome to episode three of season two of This Week in Baseball, presented by Diamond Digest. I am your host, Jordan Lazowski. Got a great crew on tonight. Another great Diamond Digest crew of Sean Huff, Matthew Penn, and Quinn Mortimer. We've got a couple new faces for this season. I think, Quinn, you're a brand new face for This Week in Baseball in general, aren't you? Yes, I am. All right. Well, welcome on, gentlemen. How are we doing tonight? Doing well. Uh, Pretty good. Got a, got a complaint. My fantasy team got ruined by Hyunjin Ryu today. So, I think my fantasy team got saved by Hyunjin Ryu today as well because he did, he was against me. So I I think I think we were on opposite sides of that though today. But uh, Sunday night, you know, last last game before the uh, the uh, end of the week. So happy to get bailed out there after. A less than stellar week. <laughs> but we've got a lot to talk about on this episode outside of fantasy baseball, too. We'll do our usual standings updates, and we'll let each of our panelists here talk about what they saw this week, what they really want to highlight from around the league. We'll talk a little bit about Madison Bumgarner today. I'm sure we have some interesting opinions on what happened um, in that game. We'll do our usual seventh inning stretch. We're talking about everything from early hot streaks to the Oakland A's to Super Leagues. So we got a little bit of everything today. We'll end with our what to watch for, as we always do. So let's just jump right into it. Standings update from around the league. So if the season ended today, in the AL, the Red Sox would win the East. The Kansas City Royals would win the Central. The Oakland Athletics, after their incredible winning streak, would win the AL West. The two wild card teams out there would be the Seattle Mariners and the Chicago White Sox. So for the first time, my White Sox would be in the playoffs. In the NL, the Mets would win the NL East. The Brewers are at the top of the NL Central and the Dodgers at the top of the NL West. The two wild card teams out there, we've got the 14 and 8 Giants of all teams, and the St. Louis Cardinals. Quinn Mortimer, your team has made it. So we've got two panelists with teams in the playoffs. We've got two without, I guess. Too early to take really any big takeaways away, but any thoughts on the standings after another week of action-packed baseball from anyone here? The athletics are pretty good. Um Big, yeah, if that, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, yeah, winning, what, what was it, 13 games? Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, that's a good way to get into a playoff spot, uh, yeah, to say the least. And the Oakland Athletics are going to be a team we talk about in a little bit, but no way to salvage a 1-7 uh, and seven start other than winning 13 straight ball games, really getting yourself into it. Let's jump into Around the League in 60 seconds. Each of our panelists give us what they saw around the league, what they really want to highlight. If you did not watch all games this season so far this week, and you likely couldn't, here's what you missed. And we will start with noted Nationals fan Matthew Penn. What you got for us this week? So I'm going to start with uh, pitching or more specifically pitchers. And we saw some great performances on the mound. Looked at uh, Degrom, his I think it was 15 strikeouts, and then bef- the game before that he had 14 strikeouts. I don't know if that was this week, but his whole stretch has been insane. 
um, today, both the Diamondbacks pitchers, seven innings, both games, but one hit for Gallon, none, like you mentioned, for Baumgartner. And then at the plate, too, some pitchers doing some damage. You saw uh, Logan Webb with his 109-mile-an-hour triple, had two RBIs. Uh, DeGrom had a couple of hits also at the plate, helping himself, got an RBI. Joe Ross was an RBI. So had to give a shout-out to those pitchers doing on both sides of the plate, on both sides of the uh, field. Before, uh, well, we'll get to you again. We got some stuff to talk about. I heard about uh, pitchers hitting and stuff like that. We'll get to you though. I want to make sure our other two panelists here get their opinions in on uh, their around the league in 60 seconds. We'll go with Sean Huff now. Give us your recap. I'm going to go to the pitchers too. One of my favorite things to do throughout the season is continually update my starting pitcher power rankings. And we're at the point where I'm starting to adjust a little. The top three is staying firm. The top three are DeGrom, Bieber, and Cole in some order. No one's even really close to them. But Corbin Burns keeps dominating. He refuses to walk anyone. He strikes out. He's struck out 40 so far this year, is it? He's probably up to number four at this point. Uh, We have a lot of guys falling down the list, though. Burns made a huge jump. But we have Denelson Lamette, who I had top 10 preseason, leaving his first start after two really good innings. Kianjin Ryu, I already said, left early today. Giolito, I'm not too worried, but he did give up about 30 runs in an inning. Um, hey, he's on my fantasy team, too. Uh, Scherzer, I don't know how his stuff is diminished, but he keeps being really good. Uh, so I think that's something that I'm really keeping my eye on is updating the top 10 about monthly now. Sean, I you might be the first person to ever find themselves starting with negative points for seventh inning stretch. <laughs> I, 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 Giolito, that's that that's always a sore subject with me. Uh, I I woke up Monday morning to find myself at negative ten points in fantasy. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was not a start that anyone wants to remember. Hopefully, uh, when he's back on Tuesday, that'll be a little bit better for him. I hope. Ben so. Mortimer, what do you got over there? Uh, so something I found interesting personally is um, Yadier Molina, the oldest position player in the NL, leading catchers in WAR and weighted runs created plus, and I think slugging as of last night. Um, yeah, that's something I am enjoying seeing. Uh, also, yeah, I also thought that Jacob Degrom, his start to the season is historic. And this is coming off three straight Cy Young uh, finalist finishes. So, yeah, I think he's making a good case for himself, like for the Hall of Fame someday, possibly. Um, Also, Tatis hitting a home run off of Bauer and then covering his eye, uh, like mocking him after he hit a batter in spring training doing the same thing. That's I think that was pretty funny and going forward in the next few months, I think that will definitely make that rivalry more exciting. And also the uh, all-star game logo just got revealed. And I think that that looks really good. I think it's one of the best logos that they've had in quite some time. Uh, So yeah, that's what I got. 
I actually love the logo too. I'm glad you brought that up. That is a fantastic logo. And I think between the three of you, you kind of all pointed out, I think what I was thinking about this week too, it was yet again, the week of the pitcher. It was another week where pitching dominated and, you know, it's incredible the early season results we've seen from pitchers, especially coming off of a shortened season, all the questions were surrounding, you know, what are pitchers going to look like early on as they adjust and start thinking about throwing 162 or playing 162 games again. So it's been pretty fascinating to see some of these performances. And along with those performances comes our third straight week of a pitcher completing a game, giving up no hits. And I have to use the phrasing wisely because technically it is not a third no hitter because Madison Bumgarner in the second game of a seven inning doubleheader today, Sunday recording this, you're listening to it on Monday. He threw seven innings and gave up no hits. Major League Baseball does not currently recognize that as a no hitter. My question, and I'll ask each of our Wonderful panelists here. Should that be a no-hitter? And we'll start with Sean just really quickly. So what do they do if a game gets rained out? I, that's kind of what this hinges on for me. If, if this was going to be a nine-inning game and Bumgarner had given up no hits through seven innings and all of a sudden a hurricane hit, the rest of the game was canceled, would it have been a no-hitter? I don't know what they do in that case because I couldn't find any records of that happening. Uh, but I have to assume they would count it. They, they never made a distinction before last year, before the doubleheader rule, that that wouldn't count as a no-hitter. So it probably did happen at some point, even though I couldn't find any record of it on StatHead or anything. So yeah, it should definitely be a no-hitter. I'm glad it's not. I don't like Bumgardner, but... I, it definitely should be. I love your like really well thought out point. It's like, I don't like them, but I guess it should be. <laughs> Matthew, your thoughts. Um, I think if we're going to play seven inning games and just a little shout out for myself, I have an article coming out probably the next couple of days about the seven inning rule and how I don't like it. So uh, go to diamonddigest.com for that in the next couple of days. <laughs> Uh, but if that is a rule that is going to stick around, if you throw a complete game and you give up no hits, it's a no hitter. Yes, there are. I know the, the argument. You know how many no hitters, perfect games are broken up in the eighth or in the ninth, two outs in the ninth, whatever. That's the hardest outs to get. But they didn't have that opportunity. They have. You know, you got to play whatever's in front of you. That's what they say. And that's the opportunity they're given. They're given a seven inning game. They went out there and they didn't give up a hit for the entirety of the game. So I don't know what more you can ask of them. Interesting. Quinn, any thoughts to add here? Yeah, I, I have kind of mixed feelings on this because I think that, I think that it should be recognized because if they're going to play seven inning games, then like the pitcher's doing absolutely everything they can. Um, It's, yeah, they have no control over the length of the game, so I would say so. But also, I think it would be easier to say, oh, yeah, it definitely should be if he was at, like, 70 pitches or something when at the end of seven innings. Like, yeah, because the fact that he was, what, upper 90s um, at the end of seven, 
that makes me think he may not have made it through the entire game. Uh, so, and yeah, and also if I believe it's not considered a no hitter if a pitcher on the away team throws one or throws like gives up a run during a no hitter, but then, so then the home team doesn't bat in the ninth inning. I don't believe it's considered a no hitter in that scenario. So, Mm -hmm. but then also it's not considered a no hitter if it's lost in the 10th or 11th inning. So yeah, I think there's, there's just a lot of weird rules surrounding them. Um, so I, I say that they should be counted, but yeah, because, I mean, if they're going to be playing the seven-inning games, you might as well. So. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's, an, it, it's Major League Baseball deciding it's an official ruling that way um, versus I, – that, that's poor wording. I would say since Major League Baseball sat down and decided we're going to treat a seven-inning game the same way we're treating a nine – in terms of like we're considering that like a planned full game, I'd probably say it should be a no hitter. I get the I completely get the rationale why it wouldn't be. You know, you 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 lose so many in the eighth and ninth inning. Um, it, the range shortened ones, the ones where you throw eight perfect innings but your team loses somehow, like all, all or eight no hit innings and your team loses somehow, like those don't count. I get it, but if Major League Baseball sat down and said, hey, seven innings, we're treating us the same as we would a nine-inning game, you kind of got to treat the no-hitters the same. That's just my opinion. Um, I do want to get to one more thing before we get to seventh-inning stretch. Matthew Penn, I would like to hear your thoughts on pitchers hitting because I, I've, he- I've heard – I have not read them yet. I have heard you have some interesting takes on uh, this topic. And I felt they were relevant given your um, right. around the league in 60 seconds today. Right. Um, so that the argument has been, you know, changed a little bit by some other people around trying to <laughs> change their words. But essentially it's, I just don't like the DH. Okay. Um, I like the National League game and keeping it like that for various reasons. And it's not necessarily that I like watching pitchers hit. Although it, it is, I'll admit it's fun when a pitcher gets a hit or he hits a home run or whatever, but that's not the reason why. It's not that, you know, I want to see them there. It's just one of the reasons is, you know, every other player on the field has to play defense, has to bat. Why is a DH different? Why is a pitcher different? And then also just some of the strategy a little bit at the end of the game where you actually have to use your bench and – uh, some of the things like that. Be careful when you pull your pitcher, and um, which you don't really have in the American League game. So that's my thoughts on the DH. Interesting. I don't know. I I, I feel like those are pretty standard opinions to have. I, I I think that's completely fair. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't agree with it personally. I've watched too many of my team's pitchers go up and look like I would if I were trying to hit in the major leagues. Um, I feel that if you specialize in something for long enough, you might as well just keep specializing. But hey, I guess apparently people have taken your opinions and kind of run with them and made them their own because I I, I don't think those are that 
out there, to be honest with you. I, I, I think those were perfectly valid opinions. So not that I'm the arbiter of valid opinions, however. Yeah, thank you. I have received some unnecessary hate for that. <laughs> so, nice to hear. What I am the arbiter of is the point system in seventh inning stretch, the completely arbitrary system where I ask seven questions, we get our panelist opinions, and I award points based on pandering, based on what I'm feeling that day, whatever it might be. It's a fun game. I enjoy listening to the arguments, and uh, we're going to jump right into it now. Let's start with inning number one. So we're about 20 games into the season for most players, excuse me, for most teams, and it's time to start asking some questions on some players, specifically hitters. Which hitters hot start are you buying into? And which one do you think will fade quickly? We asked this about teams last week. We're asking about hitters this week. We will start. You know what? We're going to put you on the spot. Quinn Mortimer, your first seventh inning stretch. I'm putting you on the spot. What do you got? All right. So a hitter that who's hot start I'm buying into um, is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I think that, yeah, when he came up, that was one of the most anticipated debuts since Bryce Harper, probably. Um, and yeah, he was decent uh, for a while, but now it looks like he's really starting to put it together and uh, just like, and his underlying numbers are there. Uh, he's hitting well. He's just all around uh, performing at the level that everybody thought he could when he first came up and for about a year or two before he came up even. Um, yeah, this one, and then, the hot start that I'm not buying into as much. Uh, yeah, I've got a, yeah, this one is not completely unbiased, but I'm going to go with Adolis Garcia um, because his walk rate is pretty low. Uh, and he's really been a three true outcome hitter so far. Uh, just, yeah, he hasn't, and he hasn't been walking much. He's been swinging. He's been chasing a lot of pitches as well. His plate discipline just overall hasn't been great. It's been, he's had a lot of uh, good hits. He's had like, several, I think he's, he's had quite a few barrels. So when he does hit the ball, he's been hitting it well, but I'm not sure that the, con like making contact is going to be sustainable if he continues uh, swing, chasing outside pitches and missing on swings. I just watched Adolis Garcia all weekend with the White Sox and Rangers. He's a pretty good hitter, um, but kind of what you're pointing out there, he's a he is a free swinger. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see how he develops. Sean, so hot start and buying into. Yeah, I had Vlad on my radar. It kind of felt like cheating to pick him though. No, no wow. offense to shots no fired. To Ken, <laughs> come on, we all knew Vlad was gonna. His his scouting reports as a minor leaguer said he had a messianic bat. Come on now. Sean throwing complete fire out of the gate. <laughs> on the same token, I wanted to pick Jesse Winker. I, I think we should really pay more attention to him, but he's hitting the same as he hit last year. He's just, he's getting a little less attention this year. So I'll take Brandon Nimmo for a hot start guy. He's somehow walking even more, Like he's always been a huge walk rate guy. And now he's walking more. Uh, he's hitting the ball a lot harder. His hard hit rate this year is up to over 40%. He's only done that once in his career. And his exit velocity is at a career high. 
his barrel rate is also at a career high. Uh, his ex-WOBA is still, yeah, it's still a lot lower than his WOBA. But his ex-WOBA is 383. That's really good. He's not going to end up, like, he's at a 188 WRC plus right now. He's not going to end up there. But 150 for him is definitely, like, reasonable. For a hot start that isn't going to last, though, special shout-out to Javi Baez, because even though he's going to end up at a, he's at 111 WRC plus right now, he's going to end up around there. But the way he's doing it isn't sustainable. The guy who's really not going to keep up his start, though, is Joey Wendell. Joey Wendell has a 170 WRC plus, and he has a 1.4% walk rate. He's walked once. He's not hitting the ball that hard. Like, yeah, he, his exit velocity is way up from last year, but it's 91.3. That's not great. That's not, like, elite or anything. He's outperforming his expected slugging by over 100 points. He's currently hitting 343 with a BABIP a little under 400. That's not sustainable at all. His WOBA is over 400, but his ex-WOBA is 321. I really like Wendell as a player. I actually had him ranked higher than Chris Bryant going into this season, but he's not going to keep up this start. That was flying with hot takes. The Joey Wendell-Chris Bryant thing. That's, that's, a, that's a take. <laughs> Matthew, what do you got? So I was I was thinking about Trout because, you know, <laughs> as good as he is, he's been even better. But for the same reason he didn't that Sean didn't pick Vlad, I'm not gonna do that because it's a normal year for him, as good as it is compared to every yeah. other player. Trout's cheating. Pick. Like I'm not gonna pick him. That's that's <laughs> cheating in this. <laughs> I'll go to his teammate though, uh Otani, who uh, who's at uh, 174 WRC plus right now, and I think it could be better for the rest of the year. He's just, I mean, I've seen some of the reports that have showed up on you know Twitter the last couple of weeks from when he first came to the league, saying that he'd look like a high school batter against major league pitching, and that's nowhere close to true. He, I think, homered today to tie the major league lead in home runs, and. He's hitting the ball as hard as anyone other than maybe Stanton in the league. So I think he'll keep that up. For a player that I don't think will keep it up, I'm going to go to Yadier Molina. Sorry, Quinn. But Quinn's taking all the shots so far. <laughs> yeah. But he's got a 181 uh, WRC plus so far this year. He's had one year above a 105 WRC plus since 2013. So he's got a ways to fall the rest of the year. I don't think he's going to be able to keep that up. It's just, you know, it's a hot start. Guess I'll give him credit for that. But don't expect it to continue for too much longer. Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, my theory was that uh, he, like, got a 2021 calendar and it was misprinted and it said the last two numbers were switched. So he thinks it's 2012. And, um, yeah. Playing like it's 2012. (laughs) Yeah, that's – yeah. Hey. Man, I, I feel bad for Quinn. He's not going to come back after that. I was going to say, yeah, welcome yeah. to seventh inning stretch, Quinn. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> Don't Quinn's getting the punches. Quinn's getting the point there just because uh, yeah. those were some uh, punches pulled. And against anybody else, Sean and Matthew, you'd probably get the points. However, <laughs> I got abuse there. I know. I'm like, <laughs> I got to give it to the new guy just because he was not expecting that day one, I'm sure. And that's, and that's just seventh inning stretch. But at the same time, man, like, 
take it easy on the rookie. Maybe just the first question. <laughs> All right, let's get into inning two. Today, the Oakland Athletics, today being Sunday, lost their 13-game winning streak in an 8-1 loss to the Baltimore Orioles, of all teams. After a brutal start, followed up by this historic streak, where do you think the Athletics' true talent level as a team lies? Sean, we'll start with you. I'm not buying into the A's that much. They're good. They're going to be over 500. They're going to be in contention for the wild card. But I still think the Astros are clearly better than them. I think the Angels are very comparable to them. Personally, I like the Angels better just because I think they have more depth. The A's are one starting pitcher injury away from really having to fight for 500. If I had to pick right now, I think the A's would finish the season around 84 wins. Fangraphs has them at 87, which, yeah, if you can guarantee their health, but if Lazardo or Bassett goes down, then they have Mike Fires in their rotation, and he's not very good. They don't have a plethora of starters to call upon. Doesn't We don't know if Trevor Rosenthal's coming back. If Olsen or Chapman has to miss even a week, that's a huge loss. I, the A's are good. I don't think they're a playoff team, and I don't think they're winning that division. Matthew? Yeah, I agree with uh, most of that. They... They're six games above 500 now, 13 straight wins, and their run differential is negative two. So even with a historic stretch, they're still giving up more runs than they're scoring. And eventually that's going to even out. That's going to be at least as many losses as wins. Um, and just looking at their lineup, their rotation, their depth, like you were saying, there's a lot of holes in there. And they have some star players, but it's going to be – they're not going to be able to be carried by those players. They're going to either need to go out and bring some talent in trades or whatever, or they're just, you know, going to hover around that 500 mark, I think, in what could be a tight division. Quinn, what you thinking? I'm thinking that, uh, I think that they'll be in contention for the AL West. Um, I think they're maybe like an 85 to 90 win team. Um, somewhere in there, most likely. Uh, yeah, I think that they're probably not as good as they were last year, but I do think that they will probably contend for the playoffs. Uh, I, I definitely don't think they're a shoo-in. I think that they're definitely going to have to fight for it, but yeah, I could I could see it going either way with them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if they do make it, they could... I mean, I wouldn't mind a money ball too, so... <laughs> We got close. We got to 13 wins. That was pretty exciting. I don't know. where. I personally don't know where they fall on this. Um, I think they probably end up closer to 500 from minus. Probably evens out. They're not this great. They're not that terrible. You got to play an improved Angels team and an already very good Astros team. I think that's going to hurt them more than their own team is going to in the long run. Um, I don't know. That's a tough one. I, I, I'd say probably have around 500, maybe a little bit better, but that's a tough division to win. That That's that's a tougher division than it looks on paper. We'll put it that way, too. Staying in the AL West, we are going to inning number three. It feels like we've been here before with this team, but the question still has to be asked. Are the Mariners legit after their solid start, or is this yet another early season hot start? that fades fast. We'll start with you, Matthew. 
So this is a tough question. Um, I went to their Savant page uh, just to look at it, and on their hitting side, it's covered in blue. All of like almost every player that's qualified, blue something, which is if you're not familiar with the Savant pages. Blue is not good. That means you're bottom 10 percentiles or worse usually in whatever that stat. But then looking at uh, the pitching, there are there is a lot more red on that side. So that's what's keeping them in the games. And they do have some big-name call-ups, some young players on offense that I think, given the length of the season, they'll have some ups and downs, and they could help out there. If it weren't for the A's uh, run that we just talked about, they would be in first place in the AL West. So I think they'll be competitive, at least throughout the year, whether they get that playoff spot, I'm not sure because uh, same reason we're talking with the A's, they're going to have to play the improved Angels, the Astros who are always good, but they're definitely going to be right there in October, I think this year, and it could be the year they finally break through. Quinn? Uh, yeah, I think that they are going, I think they're trending in the right direction, just like as a team in the past few years. Um, I think that they are still maybe a year or two away from it really panning out the way that they hope to do it. Um, but yeah, like looking at their hitting, it's not, their hitting hasn't been great. Yeah, their pitching has mostly been what has been helping them out so far. And yeah, they're obviously probably not going to win the AL West. Um, I think they're, probably the fourth best team in that division this year, but I don't think they're too far behind, um, or at least definitely not as far behind as they have been in the past few years. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think that this is going to be the year that they put it together, but I think that they're going to make improvements to set themselves up to contend in coming years. And Sean, what you thinking? Yeah, they're they're not making the playoffs. They're not better than the Rays. They're not better than whichever of the Twins and the White Sox doesn't win the Central. They're not better than the Blue Jays. And they're probably not better than three of the teams in their division. But they're decent. They're, again, I like their pitching. I know we've all said it, but except for Marco Gonzalez, he's been getting crushed this year. But Justice Sheffield is interesting. Chris Flexen is interesting. I really like Kikuchi. Uh, Kendall Graveman has looked like a really good reliever. He, if they're not in contention, he's probably going to bring back a package at the deadline. At some point, I assume Kelnick will be up once he's finished um, working on his defense. Um, <laughs> Julio might be up as well. That feels like it's more a next year thing. I'm not big on Kyle Lewis. Uh, I wish they were starting Tom Murphy more. He was really good last time he got consistent playing time. But they're they're not a playoff team. I'm happy they're off to this start because I'm really happy we got... Well, we all saw what the AL West standing spelled yesterday. Um, but they're not staying there for very long. <laughs> I'm going to give Sean the point there for his uh, working on defense. That nice little slide in there. I think you're all right, though. I think the hitters are intriguing, but a lot more of the intriguing hitters are not on the team yet. 
The pitchers are solid, but I just think that's too hard of a division right now. I, I don't think it's the Mariners' time at this current juncture. I think it's coming. I don't think it's at this juncture, though. Inning four, in one of the strangest storylines of the week, Kent Emanuel of the Astros made his debut in relief of an injured Jake Odorizzi, throwing eight and two-thirds innings in a 16-2 victory. However, looking around the league, we've seen a lot of injuries in the early going. Adrian Morahan, Denelson Lamette, Jake Odorizzi, the list goes on, and this is just for the pitchers. Is it an overreaction at some of the early injuries around the league to start looking for causes, or should there be legitimate concerns after last year's shortened season? We will start with Matthew. Um, I don't think there's cause for concern yet. It's, you know, playing the game, injuries happen. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. And if we look too closely, especially at this point, I'm sure we could find some sort of pattern or something connecting each of these players. That's just how it works. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it's for the same reason. I would think we would see more injuries connected to last year, maybe the second half of the season when it's starting to get to you're pitching more this year than last year. That's when I think uh, 2020-related injuries we would start seeing. But, you know, it's just normal off-season, normal spring training at this point for this year. So it's just part of the game, and it sucks. But, you know, what can you do, really? Quinn? I think that it's going to be something to keep an eye on because there's no precedent for this, like, or, well, not so, there's, yeah, there's not really precedent for this, um, like, just having a shortened, like, regular season and shortened and regular, like, after having spring training and everything. Um, I think that, yeah, it'll be something to look at, and, because it's sort of like, I think the closest con- example of a situation like this would be with minor leaguers who are used to pitching, like, 120 innings or whatever they do in the minor leagues and then getting called up and having to pitch a full season. And sometimes teams will just put like strict innings limits on them to make sure that they don't pitch too much uh, to not injure themselves. But yeah, I think if there are any injuries, um, I think they'll be coming later in the year. Um, Yeah. Once they start to, rack up the inning totals and get some wear on their arms. Um, and I think if there's a cause for concern, um, it'll, well, we, we don't really know this information, but I imagine that if there's players, there are probably some players out there who like from April to July uh, through simulated games or something like that. And if they did that, then that would probably prepare them better than, if any pitchers were just like not really um, like doing the workload that they're used to during the off time. So, yeah, I think it'll be um, something to look at for like individual pitchers more than collectively. And Sean. I agree with Quinn that it's going to be more of a thing to look at for individuals. But the one thing that does cause me a little concern is fastball velocity went up again. It's still rising. Guys aren't 
kind of throttling down because they had a shortened season. Everyone's just going full tilt at this point. That is a little worrying. You can worry they're they're going to run out of gas sooner, like sooner than they would normally, because they're just coming out firing, treating it like it's last year, and it isn't anymore. Fastball usage is also down. Guys are throwing their their off speed pitches more. Those are their high stress pitches. So, I think we might end up seeing like a huge rash of arm injuries in August, but I don't think the ones at this point are because of it. Like Denelson Lamette is one of the examples. Yeah, it sucks that he is out. He is probably a top ten pitcher in baseball if he's healthy, but he pitched two innings. He was hurt anyway. It didn't look like he was leaving for any major reason. Like he left on a strikeout pitch. He threw a filthy slider to someone, and that was his last pitch. I I don't think anyone who's getting hurt at this point is because they only threw six innings last year. No one's even close to that this year. It, it can't possibly be. I'm giving all three of you a point because you all made very different points that all made a lot of sense. And I I liked all of them for completely different reasons. I think depending on what part you focus on, yeah, I I completely agree. It's probably going to be something that you need to pay more attention to at the end of the year. But also at the same time, if velos are still rising, people are still, or players are still throwing harder and continuing to max out their velocity early on. um, It's certainly something to watch out for. I think one interesting thing from a White Sox fan perspective, you got two flamethrowers in, um, Garrett Crochet and Michael Kopech are two of them. Kopech's building up his arm. Crochet, who's routinely hit 99 to 101 at the end of last year, is only sitting 97 and 96 to 97 right now. People are like, well, what's going on? Is he hurt? Is he pitching through an injury? I think it's just you got to be careful at a certain point. If you want to make it over 162, you don't know how your arm's going to be holding up over that course right now, especially someone who hasn't been in this league for very long. It's just, there are a lot of different factors. And I think that's where Quinn's point in comes about it being very tailored to the individual. So all very different points that I'll kind of say it the same way, but all very different, unique ways of looking at it. So I, th- I like that a lot. Matthew, this one's going to be for you here. Inning number five, fact or fiction. The Washington nationals are going to regret their seven year $245 million deal with Steven Strasburg. Um, just to give a little context, Strasburg left his last start. He has only pitched 15 innings with the team since signing that long-term deal. I guess I can start with you, Matthew. Let, let, let's hear what you're thinking. I wonder what you're thinking. I can probably guess, but go ahead. <laughs> All right, so I'll start 100% fiction. Shocker. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I'm going to focus a little bit on your word regret there. And there's no chance that the team or the fans regret having him around for that long after that 2019 postseason, which is one of the best by a pitcher of all time, if not the best, uh, where he won World Series MVP. And every time he pitched, the team won that game. Um, he's been DC his whole career. He, um, one of the most hyped debuts and he lived up to the hype in that debut of, you know, our lifetimes, if not longer. And so that's why keeping around, you don't have a problem keeping him around and, but you don't pay a contract and 
for in the baseball sense for what somebody has done. It's not a reward for what they've done. It's what you want them to do in the future. And in that sense, I still think it was a good idea, but less so at this point because of the missed years to injury. And it's unfortunate. I thought, you know, I was hoping he'd be healthy coming into this year, obviously. If he was, I think he's a top 10, if not top five pitcher in baseball. Um, like you said, he's only pitched was it, 16 innings, I think, mm-hmm. um, since the 2019 postseason. But if it weren't for those injuries, I think he's still an elite pitcher. And he just hasn't shown that yet. He's had one full start, I think, this year that wasn't injury, that he wasn't pulled for injury, and it was pretty good. Um, and you look at from the Nats' perspective, that offseason, it was basically him or Rendon, who both got the same contract, Rendon obviously with the Angels. And uh, it seemed, while I would have loved to have Rendon, we have a hole at third base right now. It seemed like he kind of wanted to move on. And also he's on uh, – the IL right now too. So we'd be having a similar discussion there if Strasburg is somewhere else. So overall, I think there might be, you know, not quite the value of the deal in terms of production in those seven years, but overall it's a hundred percent not going to regret giving him that money. He keyed in on the way I phrased the sentence and decided to play it off of that. That was smart. That was well done. I like that. Sean, what do you think? I'm going to thank Matthew for bringing up the Rendon factor because I was going to focus on that too. So I have pulled up on my screen the, the Fangraphs article from when Strasburg signed. They used the Zips system to say that a suggested contract for him would have been seven years, $241.8 million. So really, really close to what he actually got. But in that projection, he was throwing 190 innings in 2020 and 180 innings in 2021. And he was producing about 10 war, little under 10 war in those two years combined. And Matthew, I'm sorry, he's not putting up a 10 war season this year. So that alone is going to make it a contract where he isn't worth the value, but I'm willing to give him a pass there. Maybe if, maybe if 2020 is a normal season, maybe it goes differently. So I'll give him a pass, but there's the Rendon factor. Rendon is at this point, the much, much better player. I know he's hurt right now, but Rendon is a top 10 player in baseball. He's either 1 or 1A as shortstop, I mean, a third baseman between him and Jose Ramirez. And the choice was sign one of them. The Nationals offense is terrible. It's Trey Turner and Juan Soto and the ghost of Kyle Schwarber. Rendon would have really helped... The pitching staff isn't deep, but Scherzer's still good. Maybe Corbin has a resurgence in him. Joe Ross has been okay. Uh, Austin Voth is fine. Uh, so the pitching staff would have been okay. The offense, yeah, they could really use Rendon. I think it's a fair argument. Quinn? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you're going to, like, like giving a contract that big to a World Series hero for you, um, that's going to be different um, than giving it out to some free agent. Like, yeah, there's like 
there's a longer leash, I think, with Strasburg than there would have been if he like signed with a different team that didn't really have a detachment to him. Um, like, yeah, going from like first overall pick to World Series, you're like the first ever to do that, I believe. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, yeah, in terms of just the contract itself, I over seven years, like, like when he's 37 years old, um, and in 2026, I mean, I don't think he's going to be very good. I, that's probably not the hottest take out there, but yeah. Um, I think it's mostly about like, yeah, if like, if he, like, I don't think he's going to pitch worth $245 million over the, the duration of his career. Um, but I do think it's more about like the, like with all contracts, like it's about right now more than it is five years down the road. So yeah, if the national stay competitive and make the playoffs and make another run with him, um, obviously like, yeah, it, it'll just depend on how big of a key he is in the next couple seasons, because I don't think he's, I don't think what we've seen this year um, is what he is because like his velocity like has looked all right. Like it's looked pretty similar to 2019. Uh, he's getting hit harder, but like overall, it doesn't seem like he's made any huge steps back in any like specific, uh, like anything specifically like that. So I don't think, I think that he's going to come back and be um, pretty close to the pitcher that they thought he was when they gave him that contract. Um, and the, but yeah, it's, yeah, just, I think he'll come back and be all right. And it'll just be more about if he can win for them right now. I'm going to give Sean and Matthew the points because they both kind of picked up on what I was going for. Would you have rather given the money <laughs> to Rendon? Nicely done tackling it for both of you. I don't know. I think regret is harsh because regret implies it should have never happened. I think it would, the better question probably would have been Rendon or Strasburg, but you both, answered it pretty well um i can't say i didn't word it a specific way because i knew noted nationals fan matthew penn was going to be on here i may or may not have done that but that it, it's a, it's a decent question and hopefully that he'll be able to start throwing again um it, it would be nice to see him be able to add some stability to the nationals rotation inning six crazy stuff happens in baseball on a nightly basis Give the fans one wild stat line or quote-unquote crazy but true oddity that occurred this week that they should know about. Best one wins. We will start with Sean Huff. This is one of the best things I've ever seen. Now, this, <laughs> now this was entering today. Uh, I will say today he went 0 for 3 with a walk. But from April 18th to April 24th, Carson Kelly played in five games. He had 22 plate appearances. In those plate appearances, he slashed 214, 500, 857 for a 238 WRC plus. And here's the best part. He had a zero BABIP. He had three hits in that span and all of them were homers. <laughs> he also walked more than a quarter of the time. 27.3% walk rate. That's, by the way, a 643 isolated power. And since he's a catcher and he gets the positional adjustment, 
That's a full half war in five games for Carson Kelly. Carson Kelly is going to start the All-Star game for the National League. This Carson part, Kelly's having himself a start. I love this. Zero <laughs> BABIP. Still in that spit in seven days, man. Had the ninth best WRC plus in baseball with a zero BABIP. Matthew, can you top that? Okay, so I heard this on the Padres broadcast. Um, I think it was last night. Um, everyone knows uh, Fernando Tatis Sr., the only player with two grand slams in one inning, right? So that was April 23rd, 1999 in Los Angeles. You might remember that Two nights ago, April 23rd, uh, 2021, in Los Angeles, Fernando Tatis Jr. was playing there. And he hit two home runs in that game. Okay, but it doesn't stop there. The next day, Sr. homered in Los Angeles. First at bat for Jr. on the 24th, the next day in Los Angeles, he homered. Go on to homer again. So he just one-upped his dad there after, you know, two grand slams in one inning and a home run the next day. And he managed on those same dates, 22 years later, to one-up him in the same stadium. So, I can't wait until Elijah Tatis, who is currently with the White Sox, comes in and dominates both of them. <laughs> Quinn, what do you got? All right. So um, there have been four pitchers in baseball history who have gotten 45 or more strikeouts in their first four starts of the season. They are, in 1973, Nolan Ryan had 46. In 1978, I think it was 1978, Nolan Ryan had uh, 48. Um, In 2021, Shane Bieber had 45. And in 2021, Jacob deGrom had 50. So, yeah, Jacob deGrom, first four starts, most strikeouts ever. And then the fourth most ever was just – was that this week? I don't know if it was this week or last week. But, yeah, Shane Beaver just got there. Um, just had the fourth most um, in baseball history, just all both this season. And the only pitchers other than Nolan Ryan to do it. You know you're in a rare class when the other name there is Nolan Ryan. Yeah. So you're you're yeah. doing something right there. Yeah. The only reason I'm going to give points to both Quinn and Sean Matthew. The only reason you don't get a point is Tatis is still a sore subject for the Sox fan, and this is completely <laughs> arbitrary, and I don't care. <laughs> Let's bring it home with inning number seven. All this talk in the past week about soccer's idea of a super league got me thinking. Which five teams would each of you put in Major League Baseball's version of a Super League? This can be based on how they're playing now, how they'll play in the future, their historical presence, whatever have you. Which five teams would you put in? We'll start with Quinn. Okay, so I wasn't exactly sure um, how the Super League was going to work. However Um, you want it to work. So I made two different lists. If that's all right, is that all right? Of course it's all right. All right. So um, for an all-time list, like, yeah, just 
all-time five greatest franchises. I would do the Yankees, Red Sox, Giants, Dodgers, and Cardinals because those are the five, the top five teams in all-time winning percentages. Although there is some discrepancy with like, I'm not sure about the other four. I know the Cardinals don't recognize a couple of those years back in the 1800s, but I'm pretty sure it's still the, like, yeah, but the way that Major League Baseball, I believe, recognizes it, it's those five. Yeah, all five of them are top six in World Series titles, uh, which they combined for 62, which is more than half of the World Series that have ever been played. Um, so, yeah, I would say that uh, there, there are some other teams there, but I think that um, it'd be difficult to make an argument against any of those five for being, like, all-time like top five best franchises. And then right now I would do the Dodgers. I mean, that was an easy one. They like made, they're about to make the playoffs for the ninth, eighth, ninth year in a row. Um, uh, yeah. And they might break the single season win record this year. Who knows? Um, yeah. And then also um, the rest of them, uh, I did the Yankees, Padres and athletics because they've all had, good stretches like yeah I think that they're all going to be contenders this year um I yeah there were some other teams that I considered putting there but those they've all been good the past few years um they're on they're having good streaks and they're still pretty good right now um and then also the last one was the Padres because even though they just made the playoffs for the first time in a while last year they're just really talented team right now and really exciting to watch so who are your f- five teams in that current one? Sorry, um, it would be the Dodgers, Yankees, Padres, Braves, and Athletics. Braves and Athletics. All right, Sean, what do you got? Okay, so the Yankees, the Dodgers are the two really easy ones. They're the big payrolls. They're the teams that never really go through prolonged periods of losing. And by the same note, the Cardinals are kind of that, but the light version. They're never bad. They're they're not going to run out a $300 million team. But when you're projecting them every season, you can just say 85 wins and call it a day. Now, I'm with Quinn where I'm really tempted to just say the Cubs and the Red Sox just because they're the brand name teams. But there's kind of a catch. If you're starting a new league, you want your teams to be good right away. And you want them to stay good. So for that reason, my fourth team is even though they're polar opposite to the Yankees and the Dodgers is the Rays because the Rays are really good. Now they're probably going to be a wild card. They have the number one prospects likely of all time. The only guy to get an 80 future value. They have how many top prospects? The fan list had to go out to like 70 guys just because their system is so deep. They're going to be good for a while. So they're the fourth team. And then Again, Red Sox and Cubs are tempting, and I swear I'm not pandering here. I'm giving it to the White Sox. I think you need someone in that big market. Chicago is a huge market. You need someone there. You need someone in the Midwest, and you have the Cardinals, but the the White Sox are going to be good for a while, too. The, it gives Chicago someone. You can't really have a league without them. And the Cubs just, they're tearing down. So as, as much as they would make more sense for a Super League, you can't have a team in it right away that's going to be bad. 
Matthew, I'm gonna let you finish, but Sean just won seventh inning stretch. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> come back from my Giolito comments. <laughs> yeah, you came back from your minus one to start here. <laughs> Matthew, who would be in your super league? All right, I'm gonna go a little bit of a different direction. Um, to start, uh, not that different. Um, it's a super league, even though it's been over a decade since they've won anything, you have to include the Yankees. It's just, you know, number one brand, number one market, number one, all that stuff got to be there. Um, number two is the Dodgers. Um, mentioned it earlier. Uh, however, many straight playoff appearances, best team in baseball right now, just coming off a World Series championship. Um, I would include the Padres in there uh, with their exciting team, the rivalry they've got. Um, we've seen some of the best regular season games in April against the Dodgers in the last week or two. And then for teams four and five, number four, I'm going to go to the KBO with the Kia Tigers. Because <laughs> the whole point of that was that you're bringing in teams from different leagues, different countries to compete the best of the best. So that's number four. And the number five from Japan, um, excuse me if I mispronounce this, but the uh, Yumiari uh, Giants, so those two teams have the most of their league's championships, uh, 22 for or 11 for the Tigers and 22 for the Giants. And, you know, see what they can do against what we have here in America. It'd be some fun international competition, I think, uh, the best of the best. I like the way you played that one. I almost feel bad for accepting the pandering that Sean went with. However, <laughs> I don't feel bad enough, but I like, I like that each of you took a little bit of a different angle. Um, I, I liked that you included an all-time team Quinn and Matthew. I liked your international version of the super league. I, I, I that was kind of cool. I liked how each of you took it a little bit differently. As we had last minute uh, change right there, just, you know, hail Mary, try to get something. Didn't I liked it. it. I liked it. I liked it. It was something different. As we head into next week, we want to make sure you're all prepared for what you should be looking at, what you should be watching. There's a lot to be uh, paying attention to across the 30 teams. Our guys are here to help you out. So uh, we'll start with the winner. Sean, what you watching this week? So I'm on Fangraphs right now. I'm looking at one of my favorite leaderboards. I'm looking at called plus swinging strike percentage. And I'm going down the leaderboard, and a lot of them make sense. Going into today, Corbin Burns was number one. Yeah, he has 40 strikeouts, no walks. Of course he's number one. Joe Musgrove is number two. He didn't do great today, but he had been great so far. And you have DeGrom, Bieber, Glass now. Those are probably the two best pitchers in baseball, and then the nastiest pitcher in baseball. Charlie Morton at six. Okay, that's a bit of an outlier, but he's really good. Trevor Bowers at eight, Freddie Peralta's at nine. Those are two really nasty pitchers. But at seven, you have Trevor Rogers. And I want to know this week if Trevor Rogers is real. He's been great <laughs> so far. He's striking out almost 13 per nine, but he did that last year too. His K per nine is only up about 0.2. His walks per nine are still over five, but. His ERA went from 6.11 to 1.64 in about the same amount of innings. His FIP is down two full runs. His XERA is down more than a run. And like I said, his called plus swinging strike rate is really elite. However, his XFIP 
is really similar. His XFIP minus is actually exactly the same as it was last year. He's getting hit hard a lot more. His hard hit rate is at almost 50%. So I want to know if he's for real. And he's making two starts this week. This is going to be a great time to see, is this guy actually like a number one starter? Is he going to be the ace of the young Marlins filthy rotation? Or is he just a guy who occasionally goes on a hot streak and strikes out the world? I like it. Something a little different there. Matthew, what you watching this week? So I mentioned him on the hitting side earlier, but Otani the pitcher is starting tomorrow, or I guess if you're listening to this on Monday, today, um, against I think it's the Rangers. And then that lines him up for possibly two starts next week, which doesn't happen too often for him as he's usually once a week. So that would be exciting. And then also the weekend series, the Dodgers at the Brewers. Um, talked about the Brewers have one of the best one-two rotations in baseball. The Dodgers, obviously, probably the best team in baseball this year, if not ever. And it's in Milwaukee. Um, the Brewers are in first place in the NL Central, I believe. And it'll be, you know, hopefully a good series. Some pitcher duels, pitchers duels can help for. And Quinn, what you watching this week? Um, I'm going to say that uh, Corbin Burns versus the Marlins is going to be a pretty good pitching performance. And by pretty good, I mean he might actually throw a no-hitter. I mean, that's obviously impossible to predict, but – yeah, they are uh, not going to have an easy time hitting him because, yeah, he hasn't walked a single batter all year, and his ERA is, what, like 0. .3 or something? So, um, yeah, and then the Marlins there, I think, like, 23rd right now. They have, like, a team weighted runs created plus of 88. So they've not been hitting too great this year, and um, – yeah, that is going to be possibly a very dominant pitching performance tomorrow, I think. So we might get our fourth consecutive week of no-hitter talk next week based on uh, yeah how interested all three of you are in watching some pitchers. We'll see. We've had three weeks' worth of baseball talk with no-hitters. We'll see if we get a fourth next week. But all very interesting things to watch. Make sure you're tuning in, and as you tune in, Make sure you're tuning into Diamond Digest. We'll have articles coming out all week. We just added like 30 new writers to our crew. We've got plenty of new content coming to you. We've got our usual podcast. We've got our Sunday Night Baseball stuff. We have got plenty for you to enjoy for all 30 teams. And we're excited about what we're doing. And we hope you are too. You know where to find us. Twitter at Diamond underscore Digest. Instagram, Diamond.Digest. Facebook, just find us, Diamond Digest. And YouTube, I think, is just normal, too. So Diamond Digest. But also check out the hot mic streams, as I mentioned. We always publicize those. We'll do those every Sunday night. Baseball, we'll have something for you to be listening to. And again, keep, keep track of our articles. Keep track of our writers. They're always posting good stuff. They've got some interesting content on Twitter. Make sure you're following along. We're glad you are for the ride. So that's going to do it for us here. For noted Nationals fan Matthew Penn, for Sean Hoff, and for the newbie, Quinn Mortimer, welcome to 7th Inning Stretch. Welcome to This Week in Baseball. I am Jordan Lazowski. We are signing off. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your week, and we'll see you next week. Take care.